0: What does the Bible have to say to those who work outside the church? What's a theological perspective on resilience in leadership? How is the church's commitment to education part of building the kingdom of God? And is theology just about answers to be found or also questions to be asked? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Crammer Hall Durham where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming. And in today's show, I'll be talking to Andy Wolfe. Andy is the Deputy Chief Education Officer for the Church of England. And our question today is How can theology serve the way we lead in the world? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Andy Wolfe, welcome to Talking Theology. Great to be here, Philip. Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're now the Church of England's Deputy Chief Education Officer, which sounds
1: frightfully important. Tell us how you got to that role and then what does that role involve? Okay, so um, my career has been working as a teacher. So, firstly, in further education and higher education, lecturing in music and music technology after I finished my degree at Durham. Then, About 10, 12 years ago, I got a role as head of music at a Church of England secondary school in Nottingham, right in the inner city of Nottingham, serving a very normal inner city background with all kinds of diversity. Uh, I was on the senior team at that school for many years, overseeing the sixth form and teaching and learning and that kind of thing. And then I got invited to be part of the group that wrote the Church of England Vision for Education. That's a group that's chaired by Professor David Ford out of Cambridge and a range of other academics, theologians, school leaders, and then as that vision, which was published in 2016, kind of came to life, this new thing called the Church of England Foundation for Educational Leadership was launched, and now I oversee that nationally.
0: That's what an average day looks like as Deputy Chief Education Officer for the Church of England.
1: So we work with every diocese right across the country, so there's quite a lot of travelling around. That's a real privilege to be in all different settings, working with diocese teams clergy head teachers governors a lot of work with uh, multi-academy trust leaders working on a strategic level with all the kind of major education bodies Ofsted, the dfe all the unions all of that kind of thing and you know it's a real privilege to be investing in the leadership development of those staff right across the country now obviously it's pretty different in every area different characteristics different demographics all of that stuff but I guess the heart of it is that we want to inspire people to lead out of a vision as opposed to simply to become more productive or more effective or just to do more and more and more, which is the general kind of meta-narrative that school leaders are in. But to do that, we felt really strongly that it's no use just writing a document and putting it out there unless there are actually leaders leading out of that document. All it will ever be is a well-meaning piece of paper on someone's shelf, which probably characterises many publications in most sectors, I would imagine, yeah.
0: And to take that forward, I know you've worked more recently with Professor David Ford on leadership practices for educational leaders, which is exactly what you've just been talking about. Just say a little bit more about why you think leadership practices are so significant in enabling this kind of vision to be owned across the educational sector.
1: Well, I think there wouldn't be many organizations, either nationally or internationally, that were growing dynamically that didn't have leadership development at the heart of their strategy. You know, there wouldn't be many businesses that would, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, we were really challenged to think, well, leadership development is quite a generic term, which could really mean almost anything. You know, what do you actually mean by leadership? And so we talk about developing leaders who are called, connected and committed which again sounds like just a great bit of marketing and a nice power of three alliteration. But actually that it helps leaders think about firstly their own personal vocation or their sense of why. You know, my experience as a school leader is that the more the pressure is on you as a leader, the more you actually reflect on the nature of the question why. Sometimes on good days, sometimes on really tough days. Now, leaders in our right across the country have all kinds of different positions on their own faith journey. So it's not simply saying what's your you know, your personal Christian testimony because leaders are leading out of all kinds of spaces in our our schools, but actually talking about the why and that your sense of vocation, i.e. called. The second part is looking at being connected. So a lot of our education system is subject to really a competition-driven narrative where, you know, if we were both running a school somewhere near each other, essentially I would be trying to ensure my school was doing better than yours so that locally, reputationally, you know, I was on the up and you were You know, it's a zero-sum game. That's the way the exam system works. Not everyone can actually win. It's impossible, you know, for everyone to to win in that way. So we're really saying that actually looking outward beyond your school, being in these networks, this sort of sense of interdependence is that second um, pillar about being connected. And then thirdly, our word committed Uh, You know, we haven't used that word because we think, you know, school leaders are lazy and if only they were just a bit more committed and worked a bit harder. You know, most school leaders are working, you know, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, normal. So it's not that, but it's actually thinking about, I guess it's drawing back to what that word actually means, that sense of being sent on a mission together, what we're actually trying to do. And we talk a lot about the flourishing of children and adults and that. So it kind of opens up those sort of questions. And then in terms of once we've kind of established what we're trying to get to, I guess, it all just sounds good rhetorically, but unless you actually see it in real life in a busy school, like it's basically just meaningless words on the wall, you know, and every organization will have that. But it's actually the practices that you see day to day in a leader that actually tell you what their vision is really about. So that's why we've focused in on those, on those practices. And, we're you know, we're finding from that that it really resonates with leaders to some extent, regardless of their faith position, actually. But because we're diving into the theology of it, we're really being confident about what difference the Christian narrative makes to those practices, rather than just it being potentially reduced to just good moral teaching and, you know, wise leadership thinking. So, Let's take that further.
0: You say it's kind of rooted in the theology, and that you're confident, therefore, that what we're just talking about with those terms called connected and committed is not just another set of terms, but rather it's coming from somewhere deep in a Christian faith narrative. Let's go through them in turn. What are the
1: theological resources you found yourself drawing on for those three key terms called connected, committed? In terms of, if I take one example of one of the practices we talk about, sustaining vision. You know, there's a lot written about creating vision, selling vision, you know, vision-driven. This, and it's it's actually quite high pressure on leaders to feel that they've got to kind of be the author and um, salesperson of. This sort of concept which everyone needs, but only the very few can really grasp. And actually, it's quite a short term construct in the sense that most organizations, when they have a new leader, will tend to have a new vision. You know, you see it in a school, you see it in a church, you see it in a business, and there's a sort of sudden new way of doing things. When actually, we're talking about sustaining vision for the long term, which actually is a much more biblical concept. So if you think of the arc of the Old Testament narrative, for example, There's not one moment really where everything is suddenly okay. It's a long journey where there are moments of elation, success, flourishing, triumph, certainty. But then there are also hugely disappointing periods, confusing periods, periods of immense patience. And actually that sense of vision being for the long term is quite different from the dominant paradigm in in leadership, certainly in education. I'd probably even say in a church context as well, where we're kind of quite understandably over the the immediate whereas actually the sweep of the biblical narrative and the sense that actually vision is about what happens in the suffering as well as what happens in the sort of relentless pursuit of everything getting better and that's been pretty refreshing for our leaders to think actually you're, you're talking about the thing I'm actually experiencing because most people running a school you know it's not a straight line graph of improvement where everything is just getting better every day there's twists and turns and there's some challenges and some crises and being able to say actually that's our understanding of god therefore that's making even the concept of god pretty attractive because it's a much more realistic construct as opposed to a sort of rose-tinted spectacles approach to theology where you know you get the kind of christian language everything's going to be okay well that just doesn't doesn't play out like that in most um, leadership contexts
0: can I ask you a bit more about that, Andy? You, you've sort of suggested that the, one of the theological contributions that faith can make is that th- sense that there's a bigger vision going on in which all our short-term visions find their proper perspective. But you also indicated there's there's a sense there that within that vision there's a place for suffering. And can you say a little bit more about theologically what your resources are for that, and in particular... You say that's quite refreshing for for people in leadership today. Why is that?
1: One of the most common education buzzwords that we see in schools is is resilience. And in in our generation, it's overly associated with with working harder, grit, determination. It places a lot of pressure on individuals just to be better. And and there's a kind of self-esteem issue there. And to some extent, there's nothing wrong with that. But actually, to understand that, God is at work in us, in our most challenging times, often in the most visceral and transformative ways, is actually pretty refreshing if you find yourself in such a challenging challenging moment. So, you know, I was visiting a school last week which has experienced... All kinds of really complex challenges, both in terms of their community, their academic performance, staff turnover, et etc., et And just listening to the leader as to what they, you know, their story really of the last five years was one of actual genuine personal transformation through what was going on in the tough times. And I think, you know, we can see that in many of the characters in the Old Testament. We see that a lot in Paul, famously in Romans. You know, where does, where does hope come from? It starts with suffering. You know, now that's not going to be a poster on someone's wall kind of bring on the suffering i hope something bad goes wrong today just so that my hope can be further grown but actually for individuals and teams when something tough happens i think often that is the time of greatest growth and i think you know when you think of sort of paul's theology of that in romans or two corinthians or whatever that there's a recognition that we grow in the crucible of the challenge as opposed to just in because we're praying more or because we're working harder or because we're sort of on this sort of straight line graph to sort of spiritual perfection or something which i I guess most people's lives don't really work out like that
0: and what is it about god you talked about paul's example you talked about the, the fact that a belief that god is at work in the tough times actually changes the way we see those tough times where does that confidence that god is at work really come from i mean if it was true for paul what makes it necessarily true for for us today what is it about god that for you means no no it wasn't just true for paul it could be true for us as well
1: I think I think that, you know, if you if you have a sense that God is present in the work that you're doing and the evidence of 20, 30 years of your career backs up the fact that not everything permanently gets better then, you know, and whether that be in a work context or a family context, you know, there's no particular evidence that Christians have an easier life. That There doesn't seem to be any statistical um, data to kind of back that up, even though I think that is sometimes what we're told in our younger days of our own personal discipleship, we're offered a kind of hopeful thing when actually people are leading in challenging circumstances or in any circumstance, you know, their testimony of their experience of God or their experience of the world, even if they don't have a frame of reference of God, is actually some pretty tough stuff is happening. How do I understand what's going on in the in this scenario? And as I say, we're not we're not trying to say, you know, just we really just glory in the difficult times. And, you know, it's so much better because we've got no money in our school. And isn't it great to have to make someone redundant or, you know, deal with a difficult safeguarding issue or or whatever. But but it is to understand that I think that God meets us in our most difficult times, often the most powerful ways. If only we're courageous enough to see him in those spaces.
0: Are there any other of the. The practices around those three themes of cool, connected and committed that you think provide evidence of how theology resources leadership in a distinctive and nourishing way.
1: One of the really interesting um, ones that we've written about in this document is, that, and, it's, and it's quite contentious, is about removing disadvantage and social justice in education. And um, the reason it's contentious is actually because of a traditional Christian vision that n- doesn't always espouse that. So one of the things I like to do when I'm speaking at conferences with head teachers is say, oh, how would you sum up Christianity in one sentence? And many of them will be you know, quite challenged by that because they maybe haven't thought about it or, or whatever. But they're, they're all generally leading under the banner of a Church of England school. So they should have had some thought at some point around that. But then we will talk about the social justice that is at the heart of Jesus' ministry and therefore help us consider what the implications are for a a school. So in this document we say both the Old and New Testaments insist that God's desire is for generosity, love and practical action towards the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed and the immigrant. That's our top line definition of removing disadvantage. Now that's got massive implications for where our schools open, who they're there to serve, it's also got actually some pretty big implications for where our churches are, who they're there to serve, what their mission is, and and actually that opens up some really interesting theological debates when we bring like head teachers and clergy together to say, well, you know, why are we here in this most challenging of community? Like, why are we serving in this place? Um, why are we bringing together like people of different faiths, different national backgrounds? And I guess we are drawing heavily on the original reason the Church of England even opened schools in the first place. You know, so early 19th century, Joshua Watson and a group of friends essentially saying, you know, it's not okay that you can only have education if you've got money. You know, we're not not okay with that. They're kind of Brueggemann criticizing the, the status quo and then energizing, let's actually do something about this, open a school. You know, when you look at the original charitable aims of the organisation that we that we run, you know, the National Society for the Education of the Poor, we probably wouldn't use that term particularly. You'd be surprised to go to a school or wherever that was across the door, you know, uh, welcome the poor of the community. It probably wouldn't be there in terms of the language. But actually, at the heart of the Church of England's initial reason for doing education is, is social justice, which maybe possibly can be lacking in some of our ecclesiology and our thinking about that.
0: I was struck the day in which we we're recording this podcast uh, today and in, uh, in morning prayer. We heard from Leviticus 19, uh, which ends with these words, you know, when an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. And I mm-hmm. guess that's an example, isn't there, of, of that strong theme within Old Testament. And you're saying actually that has implications for how we lead because mm-hmm. social justice is one of the huge factors that should drive our leadership practice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it depends to some extent, theologically, essentially who you think we're here for. So for example, do you think it's an expression of God's kingdom that children are flourishing in their education, regardless of whether they make a personal Christian commitment age 10? That's a, it's a yes or no question. Do you think that's important? And if you do, that makes quite a big difference to how you see the role of church schools in a community so the school where I was leading in Nottingham in a really good example it was the morning of the Brexit vote um, 2016 I was on the tram in Nottingham on the way to school with and three students got on the tram um, who were all from Iran and they're in year nine in my school and they came up to me and they said are you okay you look kind of uh, not quite yourself because I was normally quite a happy smiley kind of teacher and I said oh actually I've just been reading on my phone about this outcome of this vote and the first thing they said to me was our friends have told us that means we'll get sent home now it was kind of a little bit worrying about their understanding of geography because obviously iran not technically part of the eu but but the but the point the point was we served 41 different nationalities in that school and children in our playground that day were being told my dad is sending your dad home you know that's not okay that's not an expression of the kingdom And so we we went to flagsoftheworld.com a um, well-known website and we bought um, large flags for every single nation that was represented in our school we set up this big act of collective worship at the end of the week called celebrate learning together and a huge photo with all the school all these flags and then the school has since hung all those flags in our in the school hall a bit like the united nations or something and every time somebody new from a new country arrives uh, which happens quite often in a in a city they, they will um welcome that student they'll buy the flag there's this kind of welcome ceremony then the flag gets now if you're 12 and you've come from Ghana or something and you find yourself in Nottingham thinking, you know, okay, this is kind of different. Even a gesture of seeing your own nation validated and that learning is inherently better because of the diversity is an expression of the kingdom, I think, which sometimes uh, maybe churches don't kind of get quite right in, in, in some ways.
0: You've articulated, Andy, two of the leadership practices, sustaining vision Removing disadvantage. I know there are others, and we can find details on the website called Connected, Committed. That's all we need to type in, isn't it? What about this question? And you've, you've shown us the way in which these draw on deep theological themes from scripture and tradition. How would we think about the way in which this is relevant for those who don't share a faith perspective, who perhaps don't understand those scriptural texts as authoritative in the way that you and I might? Why is this of relevance for people who? perhaps haven't made that faith commitment for themselves.
1: One of the things that when we're speaking on this often try and get across early on is that we're all on it all on some kind of journey of faith. Like we're not in a box even if we think we are in a box and uh, we're not and we shouldn't be. Faith is a dynamic evolving process. Whatever your job title and whether you're ordained or whether you whatever what, whether you've been on an alpha course or whether you were president of the CU 20 years ago, you know, you it's you're not static. And what we try and say is that theology, which to to, to most school leaders is a terrifying word and not particularly attractive word either, is not just a document to be read, but it's a conversation to be hosted. So like what we try and do is encourage our school leaders, those where the confidence isn't strong in this area, sometimes because of their own personal faith journey, sometimes it's just a lack of confidence in thinking in this space. We've just to really encourage them to use some of these documents and the questions that are in them just to get them talking about it. And there's something really interesting, I think, that happens theologically when you come together around a shared question from different perspectives. So even writing this document with David Ford, David's not a teacher. He's not taught in a school. He's a you know incredibly gifted, unbelievably insightful theologian. Now, he's not the authority in the conversation. We are around the same text talking about it now he could outclass me any day in a theology quiz obviously but my actual experience of working with a group of 12 year olds is very much a resource to be brought to that so it's a very validating way and what we've generally found is as soon as you open up a conversation you're making a different kind of meaning than simply hey could you read this document digest it and kind of start to live it out because no one really works like that anyway and i think sometimes I don't know, sometimes our thinking about pedagogy and learning, and I think this is probably particularly true in in the majority of church contexts, over prioritizes the authority of an individual or an expert for the benefit of the masses. I mean, it's the classic, it's a classic thing, you know, like one person has all the knowledge and in 25 minutes will now transfer all the knowledge into a a group of people. That's, That's a fundamental theory of change in the church, isn't it? When actually... There's not a great deal of evidence that that really brings around the kind of conversation. So wherever you are on your faith journey, that is a much more open way of being inclusive and encouraging about thinking in these. And I guess, you know, fundamentally what we're trying to do is make that aspect of thinking like attractive. So not just a kind of tedious, like, you, you know, you're, live, you're working in a church or in the school. You really do need to read this stuff if you're too authentically. But actually, if you say to a leader, the God that we're talking about actually understands and is present in the crisis. You know D- David and I like spent quite a lot of time talking about um the concept of um humility and humiliation in leadership. so if you think about like that moment of ultimate humiliation, Jesus crucified naked alone, and at that moment, Jesus creates a community and If you think about how that plays into your sense of dignity, it's actually pretty encouraging to think like the pinnacle moment of the entire narrative is not one of like dominance of vision that succeeds of a strap line that works of a record profits for your shareholders it's actually one of deep isolation and humiliation you could say and then the rejoicing of of what comes next so we're finding that creating that conversation is just a really rich thing. and in a sense what we're doing now we're making our own meaning together between us using that kind of stimulus
0: i love what you said about the fact that theology is a conversation to be hosted this is a talking theology podcast Andy what do those of us who inhabit a theological discipline as our profession what might we need to hear from your experience of bringing theology into the public square what might we need to hear from you about how to host that conversation well
1: I think the biggest thing that we've learned in doing this is that it's always better to start with a question than an answer (laughs) And typically documents try to start with an answer rather than a question. We've written this document, the Church of England Vision for Education. It looks slick. It's well printed. It looks like it's totally, you know, it's in four sections. It, You know, it's memorable. You can put it on your wall. You can tattoo it on your arm if you're really keen. You shouldn't do that, actually, just for clarity. One of the things in it is community and living well together. Educating for living well together And if you say, you know, living well together means this, 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 this. Okay, got It's different from saying, you know, what does it mean in your community to live well together? What are the challenges that you're facing in terms of discrimination in your organization, for example, or exclusion or whatever? It's just an easy way in. All you really need is a good question. And as long as the question is provocative and uh, kind of interesting, most people can kind of get around that. And in any good conversation, it always goes in a different direction. Anyway, you need to be patient enough to allow that to happen. And I think sometimes a lot of great teaching starts with a question. Inquisitiveness, curiosity, you know, all those things are basically pre-programmed into human beings when they arrive in a school context, age five. You know, you don't have to teach like a five-year-old how to be curious or, you know, developing imagination week one, you know, the basics. You don't have to do that. But actually a system generally squishes that out. And I guess all that we're really trying to do is like, start with that question it's a kind of Socratic approach really which so it's not really new it's like kind of a pretty old approach.
0: Andy you've gone on a I think a remarkable journey studying theology here in Durham teaching working in leadership now supporting the Church of England's vision in leadership in this really creative way. What's theology meant for you as part of that journey? How's it enriched your journey? What's that felt like for you as a follower of Jesus Christ yourself?
1: I think if I'm really honest, if I think back like 20 years to almost the day when we graduated here, I really think I studied that because I wanted to find all the answers. So I was looking for some clear answers, some pretty black and white truth, not truth, boxes, some clarity. And actually... I think my own personal journey for 20 years has actually shown that the pursuit of simple answers is not a particularly wise way to go around thinking about theology better to dwell in the questions which actually obviously for most people emerge much more strongly as life goes on you know sort of presented in adolescence a, a sense that you know if only you understood this 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 and this and if only you behaved in this 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 and this way you know everything will slide into place when actually as you move through you obviously experience well just like the story of the old testament this sense of elation success you know incredible moments of joy certainty and then moments where you're thinking gosh what on earth is going on here this is not what i was sold you know and um i think for me one of the reasons why i guess we've written it this stuff from sense of question and doubt and challenge is that we want to be realistic about not pessimistic but just realistic about the world in which we find ourselves and i think what i've learned as i've gone through it's very basic i suppose not rocket science but i guess i've learned that christianity is not like a crutch to kind of get you through the difficult times or you know it's going to somehow eliminate the possibility of that happening but actually it's a lens through which you see the challenge or the crisis and as i say you're not sort of seeking it particularly i don't want to come across sort of depressing and bring on the suffering but actually for most people leading in any context you know there's some pretty tough decisions to be made and that really why we've centered this around that sense of calling and vocation is because ultimately you know the success of the school however you define it will really come down to the calling and sense of vocation of the leader and the teachers and the adults in the building. The fl- I mean, the flourishing of children is a fantastic aim, but it really will only ever come about if you prioritise the flourishing of adults in the first place. So um, I guess that's kind of my, where I am at my, at my journey, sort of midway through. Well,
0: you've taken us on a great journey today. Andy, thanks so much for appearing on Talking Thank Theology. Thanks so much.
1: You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmer Hall, Durham. Cranmer Hall is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmerhall.com.